are the new Locked On NFL. Brian Peacock, your co-host alongside the scout Matt Williamson and our Thursday guest, the distinguished now senior writer at The Athletic, Mr. Mike Sando. Before I bring them on the show, I do want to remind everybody to subscribe, rate, review the show if you can. We're on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Google Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you find podcasts. You can find this show and all the programs on the Locked On Podcast Network. We're not only covering you nationally here, we've got every team covered as well in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. So uh, your programming, your team is covered, not just the NFL wide like we are covering you here on Locked On NFL. But I'm excited to talk to Matt and Mike again. How are you, fellas? I'm fantastic. How about you there, Mr. Sando? Yep, doing well. Really looking forward to uh, the season. I know it's preseason starting up, but still, we're, we're closer, you know? Yeah, no doubt. I'm excited about it. And there's some big name veterans, the Brady's of the world, Le'Veon Bell, I saw today is not going to play. So a lot of guys aren't going to play. And I do want to get your thoughts, gentlemen, on uh, what you might be looking for from some people who are playing in these preseason games. Um, first, I want to talk... We talked a lot of quarterbacks and quarterback tiers last week, and a lot of quarterback contract stuff has been in the news. I want to talk Dak Prescott in a little bit, but the one that was finished recently is the Tom Brady contract. And Mike, I know you've got um, some insight on that and put up a piece at The Athletic uh, yesterday about it. And it's an extension that allows him to also be a free agent. Am I following that correctly? Correct. Although that has not been his mo. I mean, he's he's always just done these almost year to year, um, where they'll do a deal and then you know the next year they adjust it to give him some more cash, maybe um, keep it managing the cap with the understanding he's going to be their guy for a long time. So um, I don't. This doesn't feel to me like much different, other than he's you know forty two years old. So I suppose he could fall off at any time, but. Since they traded Garoppolo, Matt, maybe you feel the same way. It just feels to me like they're going to play this out. There's not any grand scheme to get rid of Brady or have him walk off. It's just year-to-year contract management. Yeah, I have a couple questions for you about that, and I'm glad you brought up Garoppolo because I think that was the the biggest bump in the Brady as a Patriot road that he's had to deal with. Because I think Belichick loved Garoppolo. I've been told that by multiple sources. And I'm not saying he wanted to dump Brady, you know, a Montana for young situation. But I don't know that that's all that insane either. The Patriots have moved on from studs and none of them are in Brady's level. But my question to you, Mike, about the contract and the year-to-year situation, you think some of it has to do with hey, what's the CBA going to be like? Um, what if Belichick retires after the year and I want out? Um, yep. the, the ability, I don't want franchise, you know, just gives them a lot of power. Yeah, there's there's more uncertainty uh, with every one of these deals because, I mean, at some point Brady's going to fall off, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. can't just do this forever. So it feels to me like a combination of those things. Um, look, we don't know what's going to happen with the CBA. Um, we don't know how long Brady's going to be great. We just know that he should be making a little more cash than he was scheduled to make, but they don't want to move him. They're not moving him all the way to the top of the scale. He hasn't done that the last couple contracts and it helps the team have him at a more manageable number. So, um, it's just as year to year as it's ever been because he's so old. And has he always had that, the non-franchise tag, 
uh, language in his contract, or was it something where he was going to be a free agent anyway? So many times that the franchise tag stuff uh, wasn't going to matter for him. And I did read somewhere that he put his Boston area home up on the market. Is there a <laughs> chance that he actually could go somewhere? There's always a chance. I mean, because like you said, what if what if Belichick retired? You know, what if uh, who knows? There's always a what if. As we get towards the end, it's more of a there's just more uncertainty. So I just don't see anything. Um, you know, I don't, I don't see anything sinister um, with it. I feel like they're they've been they've been working together. I mean, people have wondered why. You know, is Brady getting some assurances? Is he picking up cash on the side? That's what the critics wonder because he's taken relatively team friendly deals. He hasn't gone to free agency. The franchise tag stuff, um, you know, it makes sense if you're basically doing a one year deal, but you want to do it in the spirit of a good deal. You don't want to go that route. Right. So I just think there's great trust and faith between the sides right now, even though it was a little bit strained that um, they're okay to manage it year to year. So Mike, this has been an amazing marriage and a very successful one on the field. And I think people don't realize what an advantage it has been for them to have an extra 10, 15, maybe even more cap space to go get people around Brady. I don't know that many quarterbacks would have done this. And yes, his wife maybe was making more than him and they have an amazing financial situation, but a lot of it comes down to him just wanting to win and be a competitor and truly putting the team ahead of himself. And then last, my last note on this, I think people don't realize either, is if you're negotiating with Flowers or Chandler Jones or whomever, somebody that's it's their turn to get paid, I, I mean, what, what I'm sure the Patriots do are, hey, I can't pay you more than Tom. I mean, how could you possibly ask me for more than what Tom's making? And that's a great advantage in negotiations. It is. I think it's about the culture. Um, because if yeah. you look at, you know, okay, having extra cap space, it's not like they've gone out and assembled the most amazing roster ever every year. They've let guys go like Chandler Jones, right, or Trey Flowers this offseason. They've had a higher number of middle-class players. I mean, maybe that's the advantage they've gotten, but – a lot of those guys were just great fits for the Patriots and not necessarily people that another team are going to break the bank for. So I think there's just a lot of things working together. And later in his career, some of the people in the league I've talked to said, hey, you know, there's a little bit of a self-preservation uh, for Brady too because he had to know as he was getting older in his mid and later 30s that if any team was going to move on from him, it might be it might be Belichick who did draft a quarterback, right? So you keep that number a little more manageable. You're still going to get your money. You know, he, he had these huge bonuses, sometimes 30 million at a time he was getting. So he was doing fine, but I do agree. He's a unique competitor. And I think there is a component of it that, um, Hey, help the team. And, uh, he's different. He's been to nine, what, nine Super Bowls? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, he, he is different. As far as how he's playing right now, Matt, in your scout's eye, uh, what level is he at? I know end of the season is probably a question as, as guys get older and how they're able to continue to play deep in the season. He's played so much football and played deep into the season every single year. Uh, how is he looking as a quarterback? Do you see a drop-off? Do you see a slow decline? Do you see potentially a deep decline? Um, I think you touched on it. I mean, I think... Rivers, and to a greater degree, Breeze and Brady, quote, older quarterbacks, started to show their age after 14, 15 games. You know what I mean? Like, uh, more so than, 
boy, his arm's falling off. He doesn't have the, the strength he used to or those type of things. It just feels like the, the wear and tear of a season got to them more than, than they have three, four, five years ago. And, you know, Brady in the Super Bowl wasn't great. Brady for a while there wasn't great. But what I've been saying about Brady's 2018 season overall is if you put together a low-light tape, a tape of all his poor plays, it was bigger, it was a larger reel in 2018 than any year I can remember. But, of course, he's still amazing above the shoulders, makes everyone better around him, very, very mechanically sound and repeated mechanics because of all the, the work he's put in. But, I mean, he didn't have neck surgery, but if all of a sudden, I don't know, he may have already lost his fastball, but if he loses his changeup, then it could be Peyton Manning's last season. I mean, I don't think that's far-fetched. At some point, the physicality is a lot for these guys. I'll say this, though. You know, I think when he when he needs to dial it up, it's there, right? I mean, when they in those key moments of Super Bowl and that type of stuff. But also, I just pulled up on my fancy big screen here. Um just the last, I don't know, seven, eight seasons of Brady, statistically, right, where you got just all his stats. If I threw these in a in a hat or obscured from your which year was which year, you wouldn't be able to find 2018. It looks right. like all the other seasons. You know right. what I mean? And so um, I think sometimes we know that he must be declining because he's older and, and, you know, we look for it. But, um, you know, on the whole – still pretty darn productive and when supported, especially when he has decent weapons around him, um, you know, can be, uh, can be as good as ever sometimes too, even if there are a few more of the negative plays, Matt. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, uh, he's still phenomenal. I mean, I think he's still playing at a top five level, but this past year there were more warts. And there are other quarterbacks that are due to be paid and that might quickly surpass Tom Brady on the list. And uh, a handful of players are well ahead of Brady in the per year dollar range. And uh, Russell Wilson's still at the top right now. He's at, I believe, 35 or so million dollars a year. Jimmy Garoppolo a few years ago had uh, a $27.5 million average contract that was number one when he signed it. He's all the way down to number seven already in just uh, two off-seasons. So that can happen very quickly. And so I want to reference a young player that's due to get paid coming up next. Dudes, remember those days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. I've told you about them many times. If you haven't tried it, you're out of your mind. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Guys, I never understood the pill thing. I mean, hey, you're going to make an appointment for an hour from now? I mean, BlueChew works so much better. Um... Now, this isn't just for guys that can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra functionality to enhance their performance in the bedroom. That's all of you. Um, Blue Chew is prescribed online, shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, zero awkwardness. Made in the USA, and Blue Chew prepares and ships direct. They're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, they have a fantastic deal for all of you listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment totally free 
when you use our promo code LOCKEDONNFL. All you're paying is $5 shipping, and you're getting way more than $5 worth of product. And the promo code is locked on. Again, that's bluechew.com, promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them a great deal for sponsoring the podcast. So, Mike, you wrote an article for The Athletic recently talking about Dak Prescott. And he's in his contract year. He's expected to make a whole bunch of money. When we're talking about that quarterback tiers that we did last week, he was, I believe, 17th in the third tier. So he's middle of the road as far as starting quarterbacks, according to coaches and executives around the league. That could climb this year. He's still only 25 years old. But what's he do to get paid, and what does that do to the Cowboys once they do pay him with the rest of their roster? Yep, so if I'm the Cowboys, I'm optimistic that, hey, Dak Prescott, being quarterback for the Cowboys... That's worth something. And then I'm also optimistic that, hey, Dak Prescott, to this point in your career, just like Russell Wilson a few years ago, you haven't made any real money. So, hey, why don't you do one here? We'll we'll make you wealthy for life, but let's not push it and go to the top of uh, of the scale. You know, let's do something where you can be happy, we're happy, we can still keep our team together and build it. And so... That would be my goal if I'm Jerry Jones. I'm, I'm going to be trying to, to get a deal that doesn't take him to 28, 30, 35 million a year. I want to be 25 or under if I'm lucky. You know, That would be the, the goal from a team standpoint. Still a lot of money because when you look, now maybe Dak's better. Maybe Dak's better than 17th. Maybe he's going to continue to grow. They got Amari Cooper. Maybe their coaching's better. Maybe he's more, but... In the piece I did for The Athletic, if you Google it, just look for the Dak dilemma. You know, those other quarterbacks in Tier 3, when they've ranked in the top 10 in salary, their teams haven't done great. You know, and it's it's a mix of guys like Alex Smith and Joe Flacco and Kirk Cousins, Carson Palmer, Tannehill, Cutler. You may feel Dak's better than those guys, but is he a whole tier better? Could they be setting themselves up for not mediocrity, but you know maybe not going as far as they could if they could get him on a more manageable number? Mike, I'm a big I'm a big fan of your cohort at the Athletic, Mike Lombardi, and I listen to his podcast every time it comes out. And I'm going to steal a couple things just that he's been saying about this situation, and it's similar to how you phrased it too. And he said, you know, in so many words, he said, you know, Jerry Jones can talk anyone into anything, and he's the ultimate salesman. And how what he should do is sit down with Dak and say, I have to pay Zeke right now. And that's the best thing for not only the team, but for you long term. If I can give you a manageable type of deal, like you mentioned, Mike, that in the long run, he he said something along the lines of when you and Zeke are sipping iced tea on your front porch 20 years from now, your bank account will be way bigger than his because you're going to sign deal after deal after deal. But this one will get you to that monster deal, and you need Zeke to do it. You need Amari to do it. And so not really take one for the team, but think big picture. Yeah, I think that's a great thing to try to sell him on. And Jerry Jones seems to be that unique owner who actually has relationships with the players, right? So maybe he can actually talk to him. So many times in these negotiations, you uh, wonder if the agent's relaying everything you can to the players. Jerry Jones has players in his suite. Remember, he used to have Romo and Whitman in his suite at concerts and stuff. So maybe he can, you know, as the hands-on GM uh, who's on the field all the time, communicate that in a way that gets it done. And if he can, it'll be a great victory for him. Because remember before, um, he paid Tony Romo 
unbelievable amounts of money, guaranteed cash, when Romo had injury issues and wasn't always the most disciplined player, uh, avoiding the key turnover and those sorts of things. So um, this would be this would be a, a great uh, thing if he could do that for the Cowboys. Now, is there a critical point with the Dak Prescott negotiations and the Zeke negotiations? Because Zeke's threatening that he could sit out the entire season. Let's say that happens, which I still doubt. But if that did happen, now you still have to pay Dak because he's going to be a free agent. And then now you have the Zeke thing that's still hanging over your head. Do those two potential contracts really complicate each other? And ideally, how would they... How would they get those done? Like, what kind of order would it be yeah. for Cooper and Zeke and Dak? Well, for for Zeke Elliott, he's in a different uh, position because he has two years left. And if he were to skip the whole season, Le'Veon Bell style, um, he would just he would not advance towards free agency another year. I think he needs to come in for like the final six games, something like that. You could miss ten. So I think that would be the worst case scenario for the Cowboys that, that Zeke sits out ten games. Reports at the end of the year, you know, team chemistry is just not great. They're they're a 500 or worse team, and Philly or someone else is going away with the division. And now you're trying to do all of these things that um, are hard to do. That's the worst case scenario. I I don't know that that necessarily happens. I, I think that Zeke Elliott probably does come in and, and play, and whether it's under a new deal or not. Um, We'll have to see. I just think Jerry Jones is the ultimate deal maker, and and he gets a co- at least a couple of these done. Kind of feel like he looks at them like it's this year's version of the triplets. You know, Aikman, Irvin, and Emmett. Maybe it's not quite as Hall of Fame ish, but it's you know the leader in each department. And I compare it to Melvin Gordon's situation and think, boy, if I'm ranking the 32 teams in terms of aggressiveness to sign someone or willingness to win. Maybe that's a little harsh. The Chargers and the Cowboys are pretty much on the opposite ends of the spectrum. One team's going to do whatever it takes to get it done. The other one's going to let Joey Bosa sit out because of some you know, little squabble. Yep, I totally agree. It's, to me, the Gordon one uh, is the most – could be the most negative one or the one that drags on just because history of the team, um, I think – you know, the player's been pretty clear what he wants to do. And I think in this day and age, more players are willing to bet on themselves. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me. It doesn't mean they all are. Um, I used to always say, ah, don't worry about a holdout. Everyone shows up, you know, the first week of the year. But I don't know that that's universally true anymore. So we've seen players nowadays retire after a couple of years. And that used to never happen. So um, that's one definitely to watch. Uh, because they're not deal makers there, and they're not going to go over the top. They pro- the Chargers totally could just say we're going to pay you X amount, and that's it. Take it or leave it. In the overall team building aspect of what the the Cowboys are going through right now, do you see potential problems similar happening when Goff needs to get paid in Los Angeles and some other quarterbacks around the league? Just because every quarterback just leapfrogs the ones before, and the money's getting kind of crazy, and if you're the Cowboys, can you even sign all three of Dak, Zeke, and Cooper within a calendar year? You could, but then you're not probably getting everybody at the absolute top of the market. I mean, there has to be something in it for the team if you're doing deals early with guys. Uh, there has to be. And to me, that's what they need to try to do. Um, but it's easier said than done. I mean, when you got to try to do them all at the same time, 
And you, you basically have guys you almost have to sign if you're them, right? They traded a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. You're not going to let them go. So um, it is a it is an unusual situation to be in, but one that we knew was going to happen once they acquired Cooper, and, and here they are. And you just have to trust that Jerry Jones will get a deal done. All right, I want to get your guys' opinions on some of the preseason games. I know it's week one of the preseason. You can't take too much away from it, but it's football, and it's some of the first football we've seen in a while, aside from that Hall of Fame game. So coming up, let's uh, get into that week one preseason. Any storylines you guys find somewhat interesting? The story that I think of the most when it comes to uh, a preseason week one, a preseason opener game that sticks in my head, go all the way back to 2002, and it was Steve Spurrier's first game coaching in the NFL. And he was the head coach of Washington. They played the 49ers, and they just ran up the score on the 49ers. It was something like 35-7 to 7 or something like that. And Steve Mariucci was coaching the 49ers that year. And it was pretty much everyone was like, you, why, why would, you know, he just ran up the score in a preseason game. Mariucci's 49ers were just playing vanilla, knowing that they had to play again week three of the regular season. And, of course, then the 49ers uh, stomped them, I think, pretty good it, and, and won that easily in week three of the regular season. We know how Steve Spurrier's NFL career went. It didn't last uh, very long. So that that's a story I remember, but... Uh, and it's it's just a funny one, and just you don't see much of that anymore. And like the competitive nature of Spurrier, he's always the guy that was trying to run up the score, whether it was college or the NFL. And it's just uh, it's just really funny. But uh, is there any interesting storylines for you guys coming up in this uh, week one slate of games? I tend to look after the fact of who played, who didn't play, somewhat. I mean, I think Bruce Arians, you know, the new coaches are kind of a thing. Uh, you look at who the teams are, and Bruce Arians goes into Pittsburgh, you know, with the Buccaneers. I mean, does it give me goosebumps? No. But, I mean, I kind of <laughs> you know, want to uh, – I'd want to just see it visually. You know, I think that's one. But there's so many teams now not playing guys that, you know, unless you're really into depth charts and the rookie battles and who's – you know, who's – fighting for roster spots, um, it has minimal appeal. Yeah, it really does. I mean, I think we would bore our audience if we went game by game saying, what's a big key to see in week one of the preseason? Because they're not going to show it to you. <laughs> you know, And it's more like that than ever. It brings me to back to the argument that four preseason games is too many. I know coaches and some of the lower-level players might disagree, but it's just a lot of preseason, and I think so many of these guys are just doing their best to keep their team as healthy as possible, and they don't want to reveal a whole lot. Um, Two extremely – I think the two most interesting teams or sides of the ball are Baltimore's offense and Arizona's offense, but I don't know that they're going to reveal their schematic changes and the different ways that they plan on playing the game for all of us to see, or they're like you said, like they're upcoming opponents to see. So um, even the really interesting teams with some highly interesting quarterbacks, I think they're going to reel it in. I will though, you know, after the games are played, I will go in and to, to once we know who got to play that type of thing, I will, I will go watch, uh, you know, that first quarter or those first series. If it's, you know, that's a Kyler Murray or somebody like that. Cause you just want to see him. You want to see just how they're, operating how they're moving how comfortable they look you want to you want some kind of an impression so uh, going into it though we don't always know you know um, how that's going to look I mean Mike even the fan in me 
wanted to see Drew Locke in a Broncos jersey for the first time. You know, like, (laughs) I want to see what Kyler Murray looks like on an NFL field in a Cardinals jersey. You know, you watch so much of them in college uniforms, and you've read so much, and you've done so much research. What's he? Does he pass the initial eyeball test for these guys? And that's very generic, and it's very fanish. But uh, I mean, I still yeah. puts a little smile on my face. Yep. Yeah, those rookie quarterbacks, and they're some of the fewest. Uh, you know, the big name players that actually play a lot will be some of those rookie quarterbacks. Kyler Murray and how that Cardinals offense looks. Are they going to try to go fast? Because I, I would assume they would have to practice going fast if that's what they want to do. And I know Chip Kelly ran into some problems in the NFL not being able to go as fast as he probably wanted to. So we'll see if that hampers things with um, with how Cliff Kingsbury wants to spread things out and just how that looks and how many wide receivers are on the field all the time. They tried to sign Crabtree, too, on top of all the guys they still have in the building at wide receiver and drafting three guys. Dwayne Haskins getting his first action. Um, I think the Jets-Giants, just because, you know, the... The regional rivalry there, it's the 51st straight matchup, I believe, with the Jets and the Giants, and a lot of eyes will be on Sam Darnold's year two development and Giants first rounder Daniel Jones, and obviously, and people are going to make way too much of it, whichever, you know, however someone like Daniel Jones looks in this first preseason game, people will, will make way too much of it, but Daniel Jones is really tied to, you know, he's a make or break player for David Gettleman's career as a GM, basically in New York. So, you know, after he passed on Darnold and the rest of the 2018 QB class last year for a running back, that's at least an interesting one for me. As far as storylines go, it doesn't get a lot better than that for a week one preseason game. Brian, I think that's well said, especially because it's the big apple and everything's under, everything's magnified and you have all three members of the story there of, you know, Gettleman's been under such stress, but he took Barkley over Darnold. You can't draft running backs that high. That's insanity. And he's going to settle for this Daniel Jones guy. And Jones is going to throw an interception on his first series. And all of a sudden the Giants (laughs) will never win a game again. Right. (laughs) Yes. You're uh, by the way, you're, you want to know who your passing leader was in the 2018 preseason. Oh, who was it? E.J. Manuel. There you go. <laughs> Did quite Manuel, Kyle Sloter and Ryan Griffin combined for 12 touchdowns <laughs> with no interceptions and triple-digit passer ratings. So wow. I learned a lesson. The first uh, preseason game I believe I covered, young beat reporter. I wasn't overly young, but it was 20 years ago and or more. And, uh, you know, I had not covered the NFL before, and I wrote a story. And I, I can remember the PR director of the team pulling me aside and saying, listen, kid, uh, this is the preseason. It really doesn't matter. Because I wrote it a little bit seriously, you know. <laughs> and uh, It's always stayed with me. Do you guys realize some people play preseason uh, fantasy? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I could actually see it. that being a moneymaker if you knew that the fifth-round running back that someone p- drafted is going to play a ton against accountants and lawyers in the fourth quarter. You could rack up serious fantasy points. And I wonder what, what it's like for the mind of a young player that's playing in that fourth preseason game, knowing that all of the important people aren't playing for a reason and you're you're kind of you're going through the motions and you you you're putting stuff on tape for potentially other teams, knowing that there's a really good chance you're gonna get cut. I wonder what that's like for a young player to be playing and also knowing they're pretty much already cut at the same time. Yeah, you're trying to get put on film for, you know, the other team, and that's all you can do. And you have nothing to lose. So maybe I'm a little more aggressive or 
not quite worried about my opponent's knee or <laughs> or a headshot <laughs> or I have to make a play on special teams. And, and the last note I just wanted to make about this about this subject too is whoever your favorite team is, listeners, really pay attention to first team kickoff, first team punt, first team punt return. If you're not sure if that fifth linebacker is going to make the team or not, and he's a personal protector on punt, he's going to make the team. Yep. Special teams. Special teams matters. All right, fellas, we're out of time here. Mike, always a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining Matt and I again. Good to be here as always. Follow Mike on Twitter at SandoNFL. You can find all of his work at TheAthletic.com. You can find me at BD Peacock on Twitter. Matt is at WilliamsonNFL. Be back tomorrow, Fantasy Friday, Locked on NFL.